Acts chapter 9, verses 1 to 19. Meanwhile, Saul was breathing out murderous threats against the Lord's disciples. And he went to the high priest and asked him for the letters in the synagogues in Damascus, so that if he found any, any there who belonged to the way, whether men or women, he might take them as prisoners to Jerusalem. As he neared Damascus on his journey, suddenly a light from heaven flashed around him. He fell to the ground and heard a voice say to him, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? Who are you, Lord? Saul asked. I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting, he replied. Now get up, go into the city, and you will be told what you must do. The men travelling with Saul stood there speechless. They heard the sound but did not see anyone. And Saul got up from the ground and when he opened his eyes, he could see nothing. So they led him by the hand into Damascus. <clears throat> For three days he was blind and did not eat or drink anything. And in Damascus there was a disciple named Ananias. The Lord called to him and in a vision, Ananias, Yes, Lord, he answered. The Lord told him, go to the house of Judas on Straight Street and ask for a man from Tarsus named Saul, for he is praying. And in a vision, he has seen a man named Ananias come and place his hands on him to restore his sight. Lord, Ananias answered, I've heard many reports about this man and all the harm that he has done to your saints in Jerusalem. And he has come here with authority from the chief priest to arrest all who call on your name. But the Lord said to Ananias, go, this man is my chosen instrument to, to carry my name before the Gentiles and their kings and before the people of Israel. I will show him how much he must suffer for my name. Then Ananias went to the house and entered it. Placing his hands on Saul, he said, brother Saul, the Lord Jesus Christ, who appeared to you on the road as you were coming here, has sent me so that you may see again and be filled with the Holy Spirit. Immediately something like scales fell from Saul's eyes and he could see again. And he got up and was baptised and after taking some food, regained his strength. Father God, as we approach uh, this chapter, Lord, and reflect on the amazing salvation that you achieved, the incredible turnaround in Saul's life. Lord, help us to see how amazing the work that you have done in each of our lives is, that the fact that we have been saved is just as amazing, that the fact that you have redeemed us while we were still fighting against you shows your incredible love for us. Help us to see your mercy today in a fresh and new way, Lord, as we reflect on the hope we have in you. Lord, we pray that your spirit would move amongst us and remind us of who you are and of what you have done for us through your son. We pray this in his name. Amen. Well, for around 10 years now, I've been working on an old triumph car the car was bought online it's a quite a rare two-door sports car they're very hard to find and it seemed to be it looked wonderful in the pictures it seemed to be an incredible deal 
As the old saying goes, if something appears to be better than it should be, if, it, if something appears to be too good to be true, it probably is. That is unless you're talking about God's grace. I wasn't able to be there when my father and my older brother went and picked up the car. But even as they picked it up, they could tell that it wasn't in the same kind of condition that the pictures portrayed it as. It wasn't until we got it home that we worked out how much of this car was made up of body filler. Now, if you don't know what body filler is, it's a, a fiberglass kind of compound that you put some hardener in and then you can shape it into just about any shape you can imagine. It's supposed to be used to fill very shallow dents on car bodies. But the sheer amount of body filler we found in this car was staggering. And we came to the conclusion that this previous owner was more of a sculptor than a car repairer. If we, in fact, we hadn't seen this for ourselves, it would be hard to believe. The presence, obviously, of all this body filler meant there was an awful lot of rust in this car, huge amounts, amounts you could put your fist through. We would have, but, we were, but the way that he had crafted it and shaped it and moulded it and glazed over all of those imperfections was remarkable. We tempted to, even knowing what a dodgy job he'd done, we were tempted to pay him some accolades anyway. At a glance, this car looked really good. It was really quite an impressive-looking vehicle in the pictures. It wasn't until you put a magnet on just about anywhere or had a good look around it that you saw all of those imperfections. Ten years on, it's still in bits, but all the panels are now metal and not body filler. But the way that this car once hid its condition reminds me of the human heart. Jeremiah 17, 9 says, The heart is deceitful above all things and beyond cure. Who can understand it? Like a car that appears to be in better condition than it really is, our hearts are just as deceitful and just as broken. We all have areas in our lives that we try to smooth over, that we try to make look a bit better for others. Now some, like the sculptor who crafted this car out of body filler, will be better at it than others. While others, well, their sins will be easier to see. But no matter how hard we try to stop others from seeing the failures in our lives, the sins that we struggle with, God knows the real truth about the condition of our hearts. He knows when we're tempted to look at things that draw our hearts away from him. He knows about the sins that we try our hardest to hide from others. He even knows about the sins that we've convinced ourselves are okay. That's why he rightly judges our hearts when he says in Romans 3 that there is no one righteous not even one. None of us have any reason to boast before the Lord because none of us have truly been faithful to him. We all fall short of his standard of holiness. We all struggle with sin in our lives. 
And it is only by the grace and mercy of God that anyone at all is saved. Because God's grace doesn't save good people. It doesn't save people who have mostly got it together. Because there isn't anyone like that. Instead, God's grace saves sinners who have been shown by the Holy Spirit their inability to measure up to God's holiness and who have cried out to him for mercy. Which means that none of us, if we've been saved by the mercy of Christ, have any room in our lives for arrogance or pride over what Christ has done. Because everyone who is in Christ is saved by grace and grace alone. As today's passage begins, an overly zealous young Pharisee named Saul was raging against anyone who professed to follow Jesus. Saul believed that the teachings of this Jesus of Nazareth undermined the teachings of Moses. He believed that the idea of a a crucified saviour who died to save the sins of others, well, that was horrible because that challenged the good works that he had spent his life trying to fulfil. In fact, he was so offended, so upset by the teachings of Jesus and by these followers of Jesus, known as the followers of the way, that he spent his days trying to pursue them, trying to destroy the church, trying to destroy these followers of Jesus. Saul was there when Stephen was stoned back in chapter 7. And back then we were told that he was there as the uh, witnessing everything that had happened and they, the people stoning him laid their clothes at the feet of Saul. Now many commentators actually say that it's quite likely that Saul was the main instigator of Stephen's stoning. We don't know that for sure, but what we do know is that he was there giving his approval to what they were doing. He was no doubt jeering along with them, calling out for Stephen to be stoned. Even after the stoning of Stephen, even after he got that vengeance, he still wasn't satisfied. That's why when we get to chapter 9, in verse 1 it says, Meanwhile. Or in other words, the events that we're looking at today were all taking place while uh, Philip was in Samaria preaching the good news of Jesus and while he was out in the wilderness sharing the good news of Jesus with the Ethiopian eunuch. While God was using his dispersed people to share the good news of Jesus, Saul was trying to rage against God and do the very opposite. But as Saul continued to breathe out murderous threats against the followers of Jesus, God was getting ready to change the direction of Saul's life forever. Now, the way that Saul was mercilessly chasing these followers of Jesus was really quite out of character, even for a Pharisee. For all their failings, the Pharisees in general were really quite conservative compared to the Sadducees. Now, an example of this would be 
Saul's very own rabbi, Gamaliel. We read back in chapter 5 when many of the Pharisees and Sadducees wanted to put all of the apostles to death, it was Gamaliel who intervened, who stood up in front of that entire angry assembly and encouraged them all to leave these followers of Jesus to God rather than risk being found to be fighting against God. And later in Acts 22, chapter 22, verse 3, Paul explains that he studied under Gamaliel. In the verses we're looking at today, and right up until this point, Saul has departed from the wisdom and instruction of his very own rabbi. Instead of leaving them, these followers of Jesus, to God's hands, he's taking things into his own. Saul went to the high priest. That in itself is remarkable because the high priest was a Sadducee. And he asked for permission to drag these followers of Jesus off to prison. Saul's opposition to anyone who followed Jesus was far and above and beyond the normal position a Pharisee would have taken. And so with permission from the high priest, Saul and a few of his companions set out for Damascus. We don't know if he'd heard somewhere else, if there were followers of Jesus there but he was in hope of being able to drag followers of Jesus off to prison. But as this small group of quite militant men went along the road, all of a sudden a bright light began to flash around Saul. Now this was afternoon when this took place, so you can imagine how bright this light must have been compared to the afternoon sun. It was bright enough that Saul instantly dropped to his knees. And Saul heard a loud voice. And the voice said, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? To which, Jesus, to which Saul replied, Who are you, Lord? Now, when he uses the word Lord here, he isn't saying that I recognize your God. He's using it in the generic sense as master, which is the way that word's often used. He's acknowledging that this voice clearly has more power and authority than he has, but also acknowledging that he has no idea who it is that's speaking to him. Then the voice said, I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting. Now get up and go into the city, and you will be told what? You must do. To persecute a follower of Jesus for their faith in him is to persecute Christ himself. And so Saul had done exactly what his rabbi had warned about. He had been found to be fighting against God. As Saul saw that incredibly powerful light, so bright that it shone brighter than the afternoon sun, and as he heard those words, he recognised that he was in the presence of God. Now his companions, well, they were quite confused. They saw this bright light, they heard the voice, but they couldn't see where this voice was coming from. 
And they were so afraid that they were just silent. They didn't know what to say for a bit. When Saul got up, he realised that he was unable to see and his companions had to lead him into Damascus. Saul remained unable to see for three days. And during that time, he didn't eat or drink, which is a sign that he was in deep spiritual and emotional turmoil. He was unable to do anything until he understood what all this meant. While Saul was trying to understand what had just taken place, Jesus had just appeared to a follower of Jesus named Ananias. Jesus told Ananias to go to Saul, to lay hands on him that he might receive his sight. But as you'd expect, Ananias, well, he voiced some concerns. Saul was someone who had only a few days later been dragging followers of Jesus off to prison. But now Jesus replies, Go, this man is my chosen instrument to carry my name before the Gentiles and their kings and before the people of Israel. I will show him how much he must suffer for my name. And having been reassured that this was all a part of Jesus' plan, Ananias obeyed the word of God. And he went to Saul and he laid his hands on him and he said something incredibly remarkable. He said, Brother Saul. Those two words in, in verse 17 are incredibly remarkable because they show the power of the Holy Spirit to unite what was once divided. The power of the good news of Jesus to bring people who were God's enemies and enemies to the people of God into his kingdom. Just a few days earlier, Saul would have arrested Ananias and dragged him off to prison. And he probably would have enjoyed doing so. But now because of the work of the Holy Spirit in Saul's heart, these two men who were once alienated from each other now were brothers in Christ. As Ananias laid his hands on, on Saul, Immediately, something like scales came down from his eyes and his sight was restored. And as soon as he got up, straight away he was baptised as a sign that he, like the Ethiopian eunuch, had died with Christ and been raised with him. There are few conversions more radical than Saul's. He had once made it his life's mission to destroy the church. But after meeting Christ on the road that day, he made it his life's mission to serve Jesus and to build up the church. Saul's conversion was radical. But so is the conversion of every sinner. Because we had all set ourselves up against God. Romans 5 verse 10 says, For if when we were God's enemies, not indifferent, God's enemies, we were reconciled to him through the death of his son, 
How much more, having been reconciled, shall we be saved through his life? Now, we may not have been running around seeking to arrest followers of Jesus. In fact, we may have even been going to church each week. But as long as we rejected God's authority over us and over our lives, we were his enemies. As long as we believed that we could earn heaven in our own strength, we were rebelling against him and living as his enemies. Yet while we were raging against God's plan, God reconciled himself to us. In other words, he restored that relationship to us through the death of his son. Because God's grace redeems sinners, not good people who are more or less have everything under control. One of the things that really stands out to me in these verses is that Saul didn't go up after having an altar call. He didn't decide to check out all of the evidence for the resurrection. He was certainly in a position to do so had he chosen to. He was brought to God by the power of the Holy Spirit as God chose him for himself. He was chosen to be the chosen instrument of God, verse 15 says. But it didn't happen instantly. God was preparing the, so the soil of Saul's heart for the seeds of the gospel long before he got to that road in Damascus. Saul was there when Stephen was put on trial. He saw Stephen's face glow like the face of an angel. He heard Stephen explain all that God had done and the significance of Jesus' death and resurrection at Stephen's trial. And he heard Stephen cry out something that no one humanly would ever cry out. As Stephen was being stoned, he cried out, Lord, do not hold this sin against them. Saul may not have realised it. But God was preparing him for this encounter on the road to Damascus long before that day. And just like Saul, we are saved by God's grace and his grace alone. As Ephesians chapter 1 verses 4 to 6 tells us, For he chose us in him before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless in his sight. In love, he predestined us for adoption to sonship through Jesus Christ in accordance with his pleasure and will to the praise of his glorious grace, which he has freely given us in the one he loves. He chose us. We didn't choose him. He came out to us like the father went out to the prodigal son and he met us where we were at while we were still raging against him. And even now, as those whose hope is in the Lord, we are still living by grace and grace alone. Just as it, was, as it was God's grace that brought Saul to himself and radically altered the direction of his life, it was God's grace that brought us to himself 
And it is God's grace, if we are walking with him, that continues to shape the direction of our lives as well. If that's true for you today, then this passage is a reminder of God's love for us. That when we were once raging against our loving God, he met us where we were at. He showed us grace and mercy through the death of his son. God loved us enough to save us while we were actively fighting against his will. His grace and mercy will keep us in him until the day Christ returns. So if we are among those who are chosen, those who are chosen are anyone who has faith in Jesus. If we have faith in Jesus and what he has done on our behalf, if we've felt the weight of our sin and recognise that we cannot make ourselves right with God, we have to rely on what he's done and not on what we can or could do. Then everything in our lives must come under the authority of that truth so that it will guide and direct the course of our lives, just as it did for Saul from the day he saw Jesus on that road until the day he went to be with him. So with all that we are and all that we do and say, despite our constant failures, we have been called and chosen to be his, to be his sons and daughters. And all this was done through grace and grace alone. Let's pray. Father God, we marvel at your mercy. We marvel at the mercy you have received. And yet we really only understand the tiniest glimpse of what it cost you to redeem us, to save us from our sins. Lord, we, we all have times when we feel like our sins are too difficult for you to forgive. Times when we feel like we've wandered too far from you. Help us to know that your mercy is far greater than whatever sin we're struggling with. Help us to know the assurance of knowing that our salvation does not depend on us, but it has already been achieved. As your son died on that cross and rose to life for us. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.